Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Jesus Sampler podcast. If this is your first time listening, hello, I'm Peyton, nice to meet ya. Some things I love include iced coffee, P.S. my go-to order is the toasted vanilla oat milk shaken espresso with cold foam. I know that's a mouthful. Y'all, when I say this is heaven in a cup, I am not kidding. I also love traveling and of course have to mention my golden doodle pup named Annie. The podcast goal is to help you keep going for Jesus or maybe choose to start following him. That's the goal here. Today's topic we're going to chat about is, drumroll please, God's plan. I'm really excited for this and hope this encourages someone today. Let's get into the episode. All right. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the Jesus Sampler. Hope you had or will have a good week depending on when you're listening. Whether you're relaxing at home, in your car, or wherever you are, thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we're going to chat about God's plan by diving into the book of 1 Samuel. The cool thing about Samuel is that the story is divided into two epic parts kind of like the final movie in a series. The first book generally covers Samuel leading the children of Israel and this guy named Saul being appointed king over the Israelites after they begged to be like the other surrounding nations. Side note, I know we have thoughts like, okay, children of Israel, God literally just led y'all out of Egypt and slavery and now you're gonna forget about him and want a king? Y'all just escaped bondage and Pharaoh. Hello? And witness the Red Sea part in front of your eyes. Come on now. Y'all have got to know that God is unmatched. But we do forget that most of the time we are just like the children of Israel. When we're in trouble or we're crying and praying and fighting to get close to God. But when life is good... And it's been a while since we've had a rough battle. We walk past our seat at God's table and right out the door. However, we see that God still moved for the Israelites. And the good news is God still wants to move for you. He gets up from the table and follows you out the door, slips into the passenger seat and rides to wherever we're headed to with us. He walks into your office with you, down the school hallways with you, and sits beside you in that college class you really can't stand to be in at 9 a.m., or insert the places that you're at daily. You can make a bet that he is wherever you are. It's, it's that simple. And if you haven't accepted him into your heart, spoiler alert, he still wants to be close to you. He is still pursuing you and trying to get your attention, even if you haven't accepted him or even heard the name of Jesus before. He's always there and he always will be. That is one of the characteristics of God, his faithfulness. And that brings us back to this Bible story because God still showed that he is faithful. Now, one person that stood out to me in this story was David. Let's do a quick character breakdown of one of our main people in this story. Starting off with a physical description, the Bible tells us when we first meet him that he was the youngest of eight sons. And he was good looking. I don't know about you guys, but I paused when I read this part. Like, I always have a picture in my mind of who I'm reading about. So when I read that, I was picturing, you know, tall guy with dark hair. I feel like we forget that they were actual people. Like, was any girl in that town crushing on David? I'm just wondering. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not only that, but he was a farmer and a shepherd. We see that throughout the story, our guy goes through some rough stuff. The New Living Translation commentary sheds some light on just how rough a period of David's life was. 
He had to battle a lion and a bear to rescue his sheep. Then later on, was on the run from Saul. Yes, that Saul, the king Israel received after begging for one for 10 years, David was running. He hid in caves, forests, and deserts, pretended to be insane to live among the Philistines, and even pretended to be their mercenary. Pause. If you're like me and have no clue what that word means, it's like a professional soldier. And that's just the events that have been recorded. Who knows what other things David faced that weren't written in the Bible. Seriously, this sounds like a blockbuster movie. Now, talking about David's qualities, some qualities that he had included bravery. I mean, obviously, have you read about this guy? Loyalty, merciful, kind, and inspiring, only to name a few. Of course, David had his pitfalls too, but here was the thing about him. He was very quick to confess his sin and not shift blame like some people looking at you, Saul. This shows us as believers that God still can have a call on our lives despite our past mistakes and pitfalls. He shows us through the story and character of David that the love, faithfulness, and mercy of God prevails and triumphs over everything. Now, when I tell you that David was a bad mamma he literally was. He was known as a great warrior. The first time that we really see the warrior part of David emerge is in the scene between the army of Philistines who boasted of their best man of war, bring out Goliath. Yes, that one, the giant, who was nine feet tall, by the way, but no biggie, right? No big deal. Goliath would come out into the valley and mock Saul and his men. Basically, this guy was like, send out your best man and I'll beat them in a second flat and your army will become our slaves. Safe to say, Saul and his men were like, nope, we're not dying today. Let's just stay hidden. They were terrified. However, little does Goliath know that someone is coming and buddy, when he shows up, things are gonna change big time. Now, here comes David with a basket full of bread and cheese, and he sees the battle and spots Goliath and hears his taunts to Saul's army. We have the notable statement here from David that says, Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? I can just picture teenage David looking at the soldiers like, Who in the heck does this guy think he is? And we see David then approach Saul and basically say, hey, you know what? I got this. You don't have to worry at all. Now, Saul first denies that David can defeat the giant, bringing up his age. But here's the thing. David could have backed down right then and there, said, you know what, king? You're right. I'm young and stupid to think I could win this battle. I'm just here to give y'all some food. But nope, David responded with previous battles that he had won, the bear and the lion, killing them both with a club to save his sheep. He was instructed to look after. I believe that God prepared both the lion and the bear for David back then to set him up for his big moment now. The same can be said in our lives. Not every battle that is sent our way is from the devil. Sometimes God prepares fights for us to build our faith. Remember to turn around and remind the enemy of all the times God rescued us and gave us victory in battles. David gave glory to the Lord 
before even killing Goliath the giant. One of the things he said that stuck out to me was this, everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear. You see, God doesn't need earthly weapons to win wars. All he has to do is speak a word. We forget that he's conquered the world and Jesus lives in us. So in turn, we are made conquerors through him. Now, looking at the verse spotlight today, we fast forward just a little bit through David's life to the battle of Ziglag. And we can see that here we go again. He's faced with a predicament. We're going to be flipping to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8. Again, that's 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. The verse says, And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, meaning God, answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Now imagine it for a moment. Visualize this in your mind. You've just come back from battle, ready to celebrate with your people and family, but you come home to a camp that's been raided, on fire with no one in sight. It's desolate. I can picture David's men falling to their knees, crying and weeping. This chapter tells us that they wept until they didn't have power to weep anymore. I mean, these guys have no idea where their family and children are. They, the army was angry, even talking about stoning David. And he was a top warrior and their leader in battle at this point. And they had just won a battle. They just won a war and they're coming home to celebrate and there's nothing there. Man, safe to say those tables can turn pretty quick. But then, of course, we have David. I don't think David was the type to be on his knees crying in this scenario. I have a feeling he surveyed the camp, looked around at his men, and was enraged. We see that same feeling in looking back at the scene of David and Goliath when Saul's army was too afraid to face the giant. David was offended then. And I am certain he is offended now. This chapter tells us how David responded by finding strength in the Lord. Now, he was upset with the enemy, the Amalekites, because they had taken something that was his. Again, the enemy had gone into the camp at Ziglag, taken the women and children and burned the camp with fire. Now, David didn't throw a tantrum and cry. He got alone with God and asked if he should pursue the enemy. And again, the Lord responded with pursue. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, everything they've taken, you're going to get it all back. We see that David started out with 600 men running strong after the enemy who had taken their women and children, but that number soon dropped to 200. So here, here goes the army with David, and they encounter this Egyptian man. Now, plot twist, he was a slave of an Amalekite. Yep, that's right. They encountered a man who was a slave to the enemy and made a deal with him. So in turn, they were led straight to the enemy's camp. The chapter tells us that David and his men ambushed the Amalekites and killed many of them. But we also see something astonishing. Upon gathering everything that was stolen there, there was nothing missing. From their families to their livestock, it was all accounted for. They gathered everything and made the journey back home to Ziglag. 
Now, they, David and his men encountered the 200 men that didn't continue because they were exhausted. And as I read this part, I realized something. David greeted them joyfully. Yes, you heard that right. The men that copped out and backed out of the fight who didn't have gashes and bruises and, dare I say, trauma from fighting so brutally, he greeted them with joy. Maybe a smile and a wave or one of those nods that guys do. But we have to remember that even at the cross, Jesus still loved the men that were beating him and driving nails into his hands. And if Jesus reacts this way with compassion, he is our ultimate example. We must follow his lead and become more like him. Now, the major point I took away from the zigzag piece of David's story was this. It's time to go to the enemy's camp and take back what he's stolen from us. Fight like David did. I believe that the enemy must have known David was coming. The Amalekites had just taken both of his wives and his people's children. Surely they must have heard about this legendary David versus Goliath matchup and how he killed both the bear and the lion. I can hear him now. Why did we think it was a good idea to go to David's camp and take their, of all people, why did we pick David's camp? Why didn't we think this through? I don't know about you, but I would be shaking if I knew someone like David was on his way and he wasn't coming to chat. Nope, no way. That guy was coming to fight. Someone must have seen him coming up over a hill, his men close behind him, ready for war and ready to take back what they'd stolen from him and his men. Now, connecting this story to the present day, I often think of David as a quarterback. Yes, you heard that right. I mean, think about it. The quarterback is like a hype man for the team. He's pumping them up and getting them ready to take home the win. David was his men's quarterback. He was their leader into battles, encouraging them and celebrating with them after some wins. Now, how does this connect with us? Well, here's the thing. Jesus is like our quarterback. Recently, I was watching this football game between the Raiders and the Chiefs. No, I'm not a super fan of football. It was a show on Netflix and I just flipped it on one day. So this game was like a rivalry. You have two quarterbacks, two teams who really don't like each other. The players were talking about even the stadium felt different with pressure building with two teams fighting for one victory. And let me tell you, the Raiders had it out for the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, purposely coming up and invading his personal space multiple times, wrapping their arms around him and punching his shoulder once for no reason after the play was over. Finally, Mahomes, the Chiefs quarterback, had enough and got in another player's face from the Raiders. Their face masks were clashing as they exchanged words, yelling back and forth. After that, the Chiefs bounced back, having more fire and energy, and Mahomes ran down the field, beating his chest and screaming, I'm here, and the crowd was roaring and the place was going nuts. But my point here is this, sometimes we have to get in the enemy's personal space and up in his face. Let's remind the enemy that, hey, we're here and we're not backing down without a fight. Let him know that this is your ground. You may be asking, ground? What does that mean? Well, it means your life, your family, your peace and joy, your home, anything that the enemy could come against. When it feels like everything is going wrong and nothing seems to be going right, remind yourself of this story and how David didn't back out of the fight, but consulted God and went after the things the enemy had stolen. 
As we wind down this episode, I just want to say that if you haven't made the decision in accepting Jesus into your heart, it's really simple. In fact, it's having faith like a child. Now, pause for a second. I know what some of you may be thinking. What the heck does this even mean? Peyton, we're talking about Jesus and you're referencing childlike faith. What? The thing is, this isn't some extravagant Einstein-level process to get to Jesus. I won't even dare say an ABC step. It's more like praying, repenting of your sin, and laying down your past and just saying, Jesus, I don't know a lot about you, but I want to. Please come into my heart today. It doesn't even have to be in a church or on your knees. This moment can be in your car, in your office, in the halls of your school, or your desk in the classroom, or seat in the university lecture hall. It can even be in the drive through or grocery store aisle. Jesus doesn't have boundaries when it comes to bringing more people into the kingdom of heaven. And I can only imagine the grin on his face when he hears the words, I accept you into my heart. Now, I want to also encourage you to put more Jesus into your life. Lately, I've been listening to this church podcast called The Porch. I'll put it on when I drive, in the background, when I'm between meetings and calls at work, and on the way home. Now, one of the pastors there mentioned something during a sermon, and I'll share it with you. He said this, don't just cut the bad, sinful things out of your life. Put the gospel in. And man, did that hit me hard. We love to talk about cutting out the things that can cause strife or or may be tempting for us in our lives. But what are we filling those empty rooms with? If we fill it with the gospel, there will be no room for those things to creep back in. And I want to encourage you not just to only cut the sinful things out of your life, but to also fill that space with the gospel in Jesus. Because here's the thing. The good news of Jesus Christ is sufficient for you wherever you are in, in life. You mean if I don't know him it is? Yes, that pool that you fill in your heart or that empty space that just won't be filled. Jesus is saying, just open the door and I'll change your life in the best way possible. If you've strayed and I'm struggling, yes, the Bible tells us that there is no height or depth that can separate us from the love of God. He will wipe your past away and make you new again. And want to guess who wrote that psalm? Surprise, it's our guy David. Pretty cool, right? Now, again, let's close this episode out with a prayer. Jesus, thank you for being with us always, just as you promised in your word. Thank you for being personal to each person and loving us endlessly. Thank you for fighting for us. Help us to spend more time with you and stay strong in the faith. Amen. And with that, it is time to say goodbye. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.